So today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. 14 through 17. Really short passage, and we're going to look at this a little bit at a time here and, and go through this. And again, my hope is that through this passage, which is on fasting, you will say, yes, Ulysses, I want to fast together with you, with the church this week, or just perhaps have fasting be a greater part of your life. Verse 14, it says, Then the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to him, him is Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So um, what's happening here is these disciples of John the Baptist are coming to Jesus with this question. Hey, we fast. The Pharisees, they also fast. But how come your disciples don't fast? Um, now, this is a really interesting situation, and it shows how accepted and how regular of a part of, of, um, of, uh, of Jewish life uh, fasting was. Because if you've read the Bible a decent amount, you know that John the John and his disciples and the Pharisees were not exactly on good terms. If you remember, John the Baptist was baptizing people at the Jordan River. The Pharisees come out to him as well. And what did he say to them? You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He called them like a, like a nest of snakes is basically what he called them. So these guys were not on good terms. Uh, they, they, they did not see eye to eye on many things, but there was one thing that they did see eye to eye on, and that was the importance of fasting as a part of religious life, as a part of our relationship with God. So the fact that these two groups um, agreed about that really says something about how important fasting was and how accepted it was in religious life at that time. Uh, normally, they don't agree. So this, this is all the, makes it all the more strange why Jesus' disciples did not fast. Why is it that all of us are fasting, but your disciples do not fast? Uh, did they, why didn't they accuse Jesus directly? I don't know. Maybe it's because they were kind of doing it indirectly, or maybe they heard about him fasting for 40 days in the wilderness before he started the ministry, and they were like, okay, that's pretty good. That's not bad. We got no problem with you. You can do 40 days. That's pretty cool. But how come your disciples are not fasting? We don't understand. They're just eating and drinking and having a good old time with you, but they're not being very spiritual. So how does Jesus answer them? Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. What is Jesus saying here? Um, I like the way John Piper put it when he talked about this passage. He said, with those words, Jesus teaches us two things. One is that fasting was by and large associated with mourning in that day. It was an expression of brokenheartedness and desperation, usually over sin or some other danger. It was something you did when things were not going the way you want them to. I think that's a great explanation of this. 
fasting, when you fasted, it meant something was really wrong. It meant things in the world, in Israel, in life were not the way that they should have been. So they fasted. So they did not eat. They fasted from food, sometimes from liquids to say to God, things are not as they should be. We need you. We need your intervention. We need your help. It was like um, Queen Esther in Persia when she told the Jews, everybody fast because Haman is trying to commit genocide and wipe all of us out and I'm gonna go into the king and we need his favor. Everybody fast so that we experience the favor of the king of Persia. Or it was like Nehemiah when he heard about how the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down and Jerusalem was in ruins and he was so brokenhearted about that, he fasted. He was mourning in fasting over the state of Jerusalem. He was brokenhearted about his city. Or it was like the Ninevites when Jonah washed up on shore, strolled into town reluctantly and said, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. And then suddenly everybody fasted from, from the young people all the way up to the king. Even the animals were not allowed to eat. The entire nation, Nineveh, began to fast and say, we have sinned. We have been uh, brutal to the nations around us. We have been sinning before God. And they were fasting, saying, God, we, we, we are wrong. Forgive us. We repent of our sinfulness. We have not been living the way that we should. That's why we fast. It was a type of mourning. It was a type of brokenheartedness that said things are not the way that they should be. That is one aspect of fasting. Now, the interesting thing here, though, is Jesus says this, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Now, here's the second thing. So fasting is about mourning. It's brokenheartedness. It's saying things are not as they should be. So we're fasting. But Jesus says this as well. He says, he uses the analogy of a wedding here to talk about why his disciples are not fasting. Now, when you're at a wedding, what is a wedding characterized by? A wedding is characterized by joy, right? Weddings are happy places. You go to a wedding because you want to celebrate and affirm um, what God is doing and bringing this man and woman together in holy matrimony. It's a time to celebrate and rejoice and cheer. You're happy at a wedding. That's why at a wedding also you have a feast. You have a meal afterwards oftentimes. And you rejoice as you eat together and, and you have a good time. That'd be weird, right? If you went to a wedding and you sat there and you had an empty plate in front of you and everybody's eating steak and chicken. They go, hey, Ulysses, what's wrong? How come you're not eating anything? He's go, oh, well, you know, I'm intermittent fasting. So I'm not gonna eat anything at this meal. Dude, what a downer, man. Just eat. <laughs> it's a wedding. Come on, man. Just eat one meal because we're celebrating together. Eat together. Rejoice. Nobody's sad at a wedding. Unless you maybe want to marry the bride or something like that, and then that's kind of weird, right? Just don't go. Just don't go. Watch it from Zoom at home or something. Nobody is sad at a wedding. It is a time to rejoice. That is, that is universally characteristic of weddings. And what does Jesus say? 
Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the bridegroom. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm the Messiah. When you read the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God is described as a bridegroom, the groom, and Israel, his people, is described as his bride. In the New Testament, we see Jesus talk about himself as the bridegroom and the church, the people of God, as his bride. Jesus, he's saying, I'm the bridegroom. Um, everything, all of life, everything that you've ever wanted is right here in front of you. It's me. It's God. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 27, one thing I desire is to be in the house of the, of the Lord forever. That's what I desire. There is nothing better than being with God. Even Jesus said eternal life. What is eternal life? It's not living forever. It's not just being in heaven forever. It's to know God. That's what eternal life is about. Jesus is saying to them, you know, all of life, the purpose of it is to be in relationship with God. Like in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve to be in relationship with him, but sin broke that and they got cast out of the garden. But God made mankind to be with him together in the garden. That's what life is about. And Jesus is saying, I am here. The bridegroom is here. Everything that anybody could ever want is staring them in the face. And my disciples, if they're with me, there can be no mourning. You can't be sad. Friends, when you're with Jesus, it's time to party like it's 1999. Oh, young people in here are like, because it's the year I was born? <laughs> no, but thanks for making me feel worse. Look it up on the internet. Jesus is saying, as long as... As I am here, I am the fulfillment of every human being's greatest desire. And you can't possibly fast. You can't possibly mourn when you are with me. When I am here, this is the wedding banquet. Now, Jesus says, though, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. What is Jesus talking about? The time is going to come when Jesus was taken away. Not, not, not when he died and was buried. Of course, they mourned at that time. But then he was resurrected. What he was talking about was when he ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father. When, when, when he would rise up before his disciples and be with God the Father in heaven. And there would be this extended time that we call the church age when we cannot be with Jesus face to face. And Jesus says, At that time is coming. The time was very short, actually, when that was going to happen. The disciples only got to be with him for three and a half years. And then Jesus was going to be taken away from them. And at that point, he says, the disciples are going to mourn. At that point, they will fast because they will not have the bridegroom with them. The time to fast will come, brothers and sisters. But it was not while Jesus walked this earth with his disciples. Now, this, this leads into um, verses 16 to 17. And, and this is really interesting. And, and I think, you know, when we read these verses at first, it looks kind of, um, 
weird or out of place. Like, what does this have to do with what Jesus was saying before? But I think it's intimately connected. Let me read this. It said, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. What is Jesus talking about here? So he uses two illustrations here. He gives us a slice of life from um, you know, New Testament times. And he says, you know, when you have a rip in your clothing, what do you do? Well, young people nowadays say, leave it. Make it bigger. Wow, authentic rips? Not pre-bought from the store rips? No, but back in those days, things were different. When you had rips in your clothing, you did crazy things like cover them up. You would take a piece of cloth, put it on top, sew it there to cover up the rip in the hole. I know, it seems crazy. Why would they do that? But that's how things were in ancient times. But Jesus says, now, when you have an old garment and you, there's a rip in it, you don't take a piece of unshrunk cloth and then sew that on and, and cover the hole. Why? Because when you wash the clothes and then you dry them, what's going to happen? The old garment is going to stay the way that it was because it already shrank. You know, like when you buy new clothes from the store. I'm always so paranoid when I throw them in the dryer, right? Because they're going to shrink and the large is going to turn into a small, right? I'm always so paranoid about that. Shrink, it shrinks. New clothing shrinks. Old ones don't, that you've already washed and dried. Jesus said, but if you put unshrunk cloth onto that tear, what's going to happen when you wash it the first time? That cloth is going to shrink because it's new. It hasn't shrunk before. And then what's going to happen? The old garment's going to stay the way it is, and the new one's going to shrink, and it's going to be pulling at the edges at the seams where you sewed it onto the old garment, and eventually it's just going to rip and tear, and then your tear is going to be worse than it was before. No, you have to take pre-shrunk cloth, shrunken cloth, and put that on there, sew that on to cover it up. He says about wineskins. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because old wineskins have already taken their shape. They're a fixed shape and size. When you put new wine into there, what happens? You put new wine in, you seal it up. The wine is going to go through a process of fermentation. The gases in there are going to expand. And because the old wineskin is rigid and fixed in place, eventually what's going to happen is that pressure is going to build and build and build and build until the wineskin bursts. And then you ruin a perfectly good wineskin and you lose all that wine that you had made. No, you take new wine and you put them into fresh new wineskins. Now, a wineskin was literally the skin of an animal. I know that sounds gross, but that's what it was. Literally the skin of an animal. They take it, they skin the animal, they clean it, they flop it over, they sew it up, they leave a hole for drinking that was usually the neck of the animal, and, and they, they let it dry, and then they pour the wine into there, and then they seal it up, and then as the wine begins to ferment and expand, this newer wineskin is still pliable. It's not stiff and old yet, so the wineskin expands with the wine. And then you preserve the wineskin, it doesn't burst, and you preserve your wine. So what, what is Jesus talking about here? What does this have to do with fasting? 
I think this is very much connected as the other gospel writers also put this passage together with Jesus' teaching on fasting. Because, because of this, what Jesus is saying to the people, I believe, is that he's saying, you know, when, when you fast, you can't fast like the Pharisees and even the disciples of John. There's a new way to fast. You have to fast in a new way. You can't fast in the old way. What is the old way? The old way of fasting as represented by the Pharisees and even the disciples of John is, is fasting under the law. The fasting that was more of a religious routine, something that they did rather than the fasting that was characterized by a longing for Jesus. The disciples of John and, and the, the Pharisees themselves, when they fasted, they, I don't think they really understood what they were fasting for in the way that the disciples of Jesus would. You see, fasting in the new way, in the new wineskin, it's a fasting that is characterized not so much by a lack of food. Oh man, I, I don't have food. I'm so hungry. A lack of food so much as a lack of the presence of Jesus in their lives. That's what the new fasting was about. We long for Jesus. It's not a fasting. It's not mourning because of hunger. That's what the Pharisees did. They mourned because they were hungry. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. The Pharisees, when they fasted, they were mourning because of their hunger. Oh, oh, sorry, my gosh. Look at me. Look at me, everybody. I'm so hungry. Oh my gosh, I'm dying. I'm so spiritual. I'm so religious. Look what I'm willing to do. And people are like, wow, you're so, look at them, the sacrifice they're making. Oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. I'm in pain. I'm in literal pain. Somebody help me. Help me. Here, take some food. No, no, I'm, I'm so spiritual. It's not a mourning because of hunger, but a mourning because of the absence of Christ. I fast because Jesus is not here, but I long for him. I mourn because I want more of Jesus. I long for him. It's not a longing for food. It is a longing for Christ. It's not about an ache in your stomach, but it is an ache in your heart for more of the presence of God in your life. That is what the new type of fasting was about. The Pharisees, when they fasted, they didn't really know who or what they were fasting for. John's disciples, neither. Because for whatever reason, they were still John's disciples. They didn't go with Jesus. Even though John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. His disciples were like, cool, we're sticking with you, John. They were missing something. They were missing something. They, they, they didn't go with Jesus. They didn't know who they were fasting for. They didn't know what they were fasting for. But we do. We do. Because we know that it is about a longing for Jesus, more of him in our lives. It's about longing for somebody who they experienced but then was taken from them. And that fasting was a longing saying, we want more of that person in our life again.
You know, like one of the most um, uh, difficult things, you know, about my mother passing away three weeks ago was, you know, it was so it was so hard when she was sick, and it was her her last few days, and, and seeing um, the suffering that she was going through. I mean, that's that's really really hard, and 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 um. We can imagine that, right? Even if you haven't lost a loved one, and many of you have lost a loved one, we can imagine that. But one of the difficult things that don't get talked about as much is is how things feel the day after when the person is gone, when the person is taken away from you. And, you know, it's so jarring and it's so difficult, like, you know, after my mom passed away and she was taken to the funeral home, just even looking at her bed and seeing that it was empty, it just, it made it so real, the lack of her presence, that she was gone. She was not there. Um, Walking into her bedroom and seeing it empty, it, and it was a room that was her room. That's where she stayed. That's where she ate. That's where she slept. And to walk into that and suddenly to see it empty made the lack of her presence so much more real, so much more felt. Because she was somebody that I knew, somebody that I loved, somebody that used to be there in that space. And now to walk in and she was no longer there. You know, like as a pastor, as a Christian, you know, heaven is, is something that we're all taught to look forward to, the new heavens and the new earth, and I do. But, you know, after losing my mom, it, in a deeper way, heaven is not just a, a place, it's not just a, a theological truth. Heaven becomes more about reunion. It's the place where I will go and I will see her again. Somebody that I loved and was such an important part of my life who is gone now, but heaven becomes, it's become more about reunion for me than it did before because she's there and I will see her again. For the disciples, they knew Jesus. They walked with him for three and a half years. And, and, and they knew that they would see him again. But in this period in which they were separated, it was a time of longing, longing to be with Christ again. And you see, this is, this is the new wineskin. This is the new way to fast. Not just because, oh, Ulysses said fast at the beginning of the year. Okay, let's fast. Oh, get ready. Let's, we're going to be hungry, kids. We're going to, oh my gosh, it's going to be tough. That's not the, the, the fasting that Jesus is talking about. But it's fasting that says, man, I want more of Christ in my life. I want you. I want more of Jesus in my heart, and in my life. 
he may say, well, you know, I never got to walk with Jesus for three and a half years like his disciples did. Well, neither did Paul. But because he had the Holy Spirit, he could experience this. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and we can experience this. He was even able to write, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul is actually saying it would be better, I would prefer to not go on living in this life anymore because it would mean that I get to be with Jesus. That's better. He was able to say that. He never walked with Jesus. He saw him on the Damascus road. He had a vision of him, but he never walked with Jesus like the disciples did. But because the Holy Spirit was in him, he was able to say, that's how much I want to be with Jesus. This life pales in comparison. I'd rather my life end. That would be better so that I could be with Christ. He was able to write in 2 Corinthians, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. John Piper, again, he put it this way. I think he put it really well. Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. It is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Brothers and sisters, um, I want to call our church to fast. I want to ask you, if you're a Christian, to fast together with me this week. Why? Because we want more of Jesus. We long for more of Jesus in everything. Because we look at our lives and, and we know that things are not as they should be. They're not as they should be. And what is the answer to that? Having more of Jesus, more of the presence of God in our lives. And we want that and we long for that. And because of that, we will fast to say, God, we want the bridegroom. We want more of your presence and your leading and your direction in our lives. I'm going to fast because I need more of Jesus in my life because there's sin that needs to be overcome because there are things about me that I want to change and that seem so stubborn that aren't changing. Jesus, I need you to change me. Or maybe perhaps your fasting is, is for a new wineskin. God, so much of how I relate to you is that old wineskin. When I pray, it's because it's some type of religious duty. When I read the Bible, there's no desire to do it. It's like homework or a chore. When I fast, it just seems like I'm just going hungry. I want a new wineskin, God, and how I relate to you. I, I, wanna, I want to, when I read the word of God, long to hear what you have to say. I want to, want to pray because I want to be with you. I want my relationship with you in 2023 and this year to change to become this new wineskin. Maybe that's what you'll fast for. Maybe you need more of Jesus in your marriage. Maybe you need more of Jesus working in your kid's life. Maybe you need more of Jesus with you in your workplace. You want to be more bold for Jesus. You want to be more faithful. 
Maybe there are decisions that you need to make and you need Jesus to be in those decisions because you don't want to make them out of your own flesh. You want God to guide you in this year about these decisions. We need more of Jesus in our church to guide us as a church in this year, in 2023. I am not good at fasting, brothers and sisters. It's not something I do regularly. I need to do it more regularly. But for me, in this year, in 2023, I, I do feel this sense, man, I need more of you, Jesus, in my life and in our church. And God, and, and I, wanna, I long for you more than I long for food. I want to invite all of you to fast together with me this year. Why don't we stand together as we respond and I want to invite the worship team up at this time.